0: Good morning, great people. It is so good to see you. I trust that you really are ready for God to do something. You know, uh, every time we come to church, God has something for you. And so I believe that God is going to speak to you and change things in your life as we carry on with this series. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence here. Father, I pray for each person sitting here. Would you speak to them and touch them? I pray that not anything I say would be invalidated, but that you would anoint your word, that it would not return to you void, that you'd show us wrong ways of thinking, that we would think like you, you'd show us wrong ways of acting, attitudes, and that you would cause us to see things that we can align and become more like you, and that your blessing would follow and so lord bless this time i thank you for energy i thank you for anointing i thank you for the great coffee and we pray for spiritual coffee to be poured out into our souls as we celebrate your word together and everyone said amen Amen. yes spiritual coffee Uh, i know you're not so sure about what that is it is really just the holy spirit giving you an invigoration without the headache yeah so hey hallelujah so we're carrying on with our series that uh, Pastor Darlene started last week, and uh, we, we do this uh, once a year. We choose once a year one Old Testament book and one New Testament book, so that every year we know we're at least focusing on one book of the Bible, so we go in deep in the book of Malachi. Now, we chose the only book written by an Italian prophet And uh, there is no other book written in the Bible by an Italian prophet, so that's why we chose this. It's very kind of unique. Um, And so Malachi is his real name, and we're going to be celebrating Malachi today. I know there are Hebrew scholars who try to claim him as Hebrew, but my Italian friends insist that he is Italian. I guess we'll only know when we get to heaven. So it's my first question I'm going to ask Jesus. So where's Malachi? Is he Italian or what, you know? But whether he's Italian or not, what he has to say is pretty cool, and so we're starting to unpack it. But let me give you a little bit of a history, Um, and if you weren't here last week, get the podcast from what Carol shared. But the book of Malachi is written to the Israelites after they had sinned against God, rebelled against his ways, and God had sent them into captivity, which he said he would have done long ago. He said, if you don't serve me, if you don't worship me, if you go after other gods, it is sayonara. And I don't think he said, "signora," that's Spanish. But for an Italian, I'm not sure what the Italian is. But when God said to them, these are the things I'm telling you to do that you can be blessed. These are the things I command you to do so that I can be in your presence and anoint you and bless you and reward you. But if you don't do these things and you do the opposite, then the opposite's going to happen to you. He warned them. Have you read your Bible? You know? And so the whole of the law is telling people how to line themselves up to be positioned for God's blessing. And then we see the history of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, where we watch God's patience as they violate his covenant and he's just patiently, patiently. If I were God, I would have zapped that first king that went astray have you read kings you know i mean it's just like and then another king arose who did not serve the lord and did what was evil in the sight of the lord and god was just okay my covenant with david i'll be patient i'll be patient and eventually they get taken out and this is now the time where god in his mercy is saying all right i'm allowing a remnant of israelites to return to jerusalem they've just rebuilt the wall they've rebuilt the temple but they haven't rebuilt their hearts they are still living against God in their hearts they're still thinking in ways that are not God's ways of thinking and so Malachi really is a great study in understanding what are the wrong thoughts practices belief systems in our souls that keep us from God's blessing and so ultimately Carol spoke about the covenant of love and the culture of honor and the covenant of love was God saying to Israel I've made a covenant with you because I love you and I'm going to honor that covenant with you But that covenant can only bear fruit and bring the blessing if you honor me and do what I've told you to do. Right at the beginning when they entered the promised land, we see that God puts before them the option. Did you know that being blessed or cursed is your choice? Just nod your heads, right? Okay, I see that head. I see that head. I see those heads over there. Thank you. Being blessed or cursed, most people think, well, it's just like, if a Sangoma curses me, I'm cursed. No, that's not how curses work. In fact, the Bible clearly describes how blessings and curses work. And as they were entering the promised land, Joshua gave this command to the people. And he said this, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that God has set before you life and death. (laughs) Does that sound like a choice? Right? You may choose life or you may choose death blessings and curses now what should you choose life yep you guys are good you getting it so that you and your children may live and that you may love the lord your god listen to his voice and hold fast to him when you do that for the lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers abraham isaac and jacob god wants to bless you god made a covenant with you Firstly, the old covenant, and now he's made a new covenant through Jesus because his desire is to bless you. He created you so that you could be in him, in perfect relationship with him, experiencing his presence, experiencing his glory, experiencing his protection, his provision, his blessing, living in that. That's how we were created to live. Amen? But unfortunately, God is light, and in him there's no darkness. Now, not unfortunately. That's not unfortunate. That's fortunate. But unfortunately, that means that if I live in darkness, God cannot be with me. So if God is light and cannot inhabit darkness, God had to put rules in place. He had to put his law in place, which was pretty much saying to them, live like this so that I can be amongst you. Now, under the new covenant, what that means is embrace Jesus, live in Jesus, be forgiven, walk a life of repentance, obey Jesus' words, and then you will be positioned for blessing. And so the choice is actually yours. Now in Malachi, we see the Israelites who were in this covenant of love, but they chose to be on this side over here and said, but we're going to just do things our way. And we're wondering why God's not blessing us. And they're actually complaining. God, why aren't you blessing us? Why aren't you doing all the things you said? We don't like you anymore. But they're doing everything contrary to what God told them to do so that they could be in his blessing. So let me say this about a curse. A curse is simply positioning yourself outside of God so that He cannot bless you. It's not like some weird spiritual magic. Ooh, there's a curse coming off. The Bible says no curse can come upon you without a cause. That means you have to be living in such a way that you invite a curse. If you are living in Jesus and you're living in the place where you are doing what he says in his presence, obeying his commands, then no curse can come upon you. And His blessing can come upon you. So when I walk in the light, as He is in the light, then the fellowship of Jesus, remember what John said, is with us, and He's able to cleanse us. He's able to heal us. He's able to bless us if I'm walking in the light. But if I choose to walk in the dark, what happens? He can't walk with me. And He's over there saying, Andrew, return. Come back. I want to bless you. Come back. And I'm over here going, God, you promised, and now it's not happening, and you're just letting things go bad, and I don't trust you anymore. Can you see how stupid that is? Sometimes we're our own worst enemies and we blame God. And so Malachi really is a story of return to the position of blessing. Return to the place of doing things the way I've told you to do them so that I can be with you. God did not give us the law to put you under a burden. Paul clarifies this throughout the New Testament. David, who had a New Testament understanding in the Old Testament... Read the Psalms. Read Psalm 91. How I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. It gives me life. It blesses me. It sets me free. It heals me. It is health to my bones. But when you look at the law as just a list of rules and regulations, it's, ah, can't do that, can't do that, then you're missing the whole point. Now, yes, Jesus died on the cross to provide a way from us so we don't have to like fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law in our own strength he's already done it but there is still a requirement on us to live in Jesus and live like Jesus for his blessing to be there and so when we look at the difference between blessings and curses this is really the whole focus of of, um, Malachi is to bring them back to the rules of Deuteronomy that allow you to be blessed now uh shared this at our soul healing training we had like 50 people there It was just amazing so release some of that just God did amazing things but inside of your soul there is a switch and it is your free choice and God will never violate your freedom of choice in fact if God forced you to robotically love him then that wouldn't be love true love has to be I choose you Now what happens is the Israelites who were in covenant said, I don't choose you, but I still want the blessings of the covenant, because that's not how it works, you see. And so as we look through today, Carol started in Malachi chapter 1, I'm going to look at chapter 3, next week Carol will be sharing on chapter 2, we kind of swapped because she's in Rosebank, and I was doing 3, but I couldn't do 3, and her not be here, and then no one would be here to preach, and so it's all very complicated, but that's why we're in 3 today. So, Hallelujah. So understanding this, you know, when you guys are going through a hard time, a curse isn't something God sends to harm you. It is, in fact, a natural result of us choosing to do things our own way, outside of God's way. That's as simple as it is, to think thoughts that are not His. And so when it talks about this choice that we have, in Malachi, we see the same kind of discussion going on. He asks questions and answers, And Malachi asks the questions that the people are asking, and then he answers them. And so I might ask some questions today, but I will answer them because I'm in Malachi's place today. You don't have to feel like you have to answer all my questions, okay? But they'd stop doing what God told them to do, and Malachi's calling them back to the covenant. And so what I want to do today, looking at Malachi 3, is that in Malachi 3, we see three redeeming RTF requirements for returning to righteous rejoicing. Really? Okay, okay. Some people appreciate alliteration. The more you saved, as part of being in the blessing, is you understand and appreciate alliteration. I believe it's just the way the Holy Spirit thinks. And you know, the more you think about the Holy Spirit, the more you will catch that and, and realize he loves alliteration. But what I see is In Malachi 3, there are three questions being asked that show how wrong they're thinking. And there are three answers God gives to say, here is how I want you to live to stop that wrong way of thinking so that you can come out of the curse and be in the blessing. So are you all excited to see those three? Right? Yes? And how many of you are wondering what is an RTF requirement? Okay, so for the three of you, it's it's a very complicated term that we use as theologians, it literally describes three words in a sentence that start with the letters R, T, and F. (sighs) Deep, eh? Deep, 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 deep. So uh, the first RTF, let's climb into it and let's read what it says in Malachi. I'm going to start 2.17 because that's the question that kind of opens things up for chapter 3. Remember, there weren't chapters at the time that Malachi wrote this. And so he's carrying on with the question and answer, and he says, guys, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And they say, well, have we wearied him? Can you tell that? I'm just putting the attitude. You need some attitude there. And you have said, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Now, you look at that, and you go, that's just silly. There is actually a thinking just like this, pervading the church of Christ today, which we call false grace it is an understanding of grace that people are teaching that says it doesn't matter how you live his grace will cover you and he will love you and you will still be blessed no matter how you live there is and some of you are like well i haven't heard that teaching it is doing the rounds and there are a lot of churches that are embracing this and they have people living in ungodliness and they told no, it's all okay his grace covers it firstly there's two things wrong with that grace is not a covering for sin Grace is, in fact, according to Scripture, his empowering ability to stop you from sinning and do what is right. Because I'm standing on this side in the curse section because I, in my own strength, cannot do what he's called me to do. So he said, don't worry, I'm going to give you grace so that you can live here and the grace of God will enable you to do what you couldn't do before. Because no one could fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Jesus did it and he says, now I give you my grace so that as you're led by the Spirit, you'll fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Amen, And so, as he's talking to them, he's saying don't don't say that it's okay to live how you wish and that God's still going to delight in you. Let me teach you some truths and then there's another group that he's saying. Those guys are living like they like, and they getting away with it. So where's the God of justice? So you have these two groups: the party animals over here, Woo-hoo! we can do what we like, and Jesus is still going to bless us. And well, they didn't know about Jesus yet, but he was prophesied, so we're still going to be blessed, and we can just do what we like, think how we like. And then there's this other group, who probably keep the law, righteous, Pharisaical. Like, God, how come you're not zapping them? Where's your judgment? And so his answer is, behold, I'm going to send my messenger, it's a prophecy about John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, prophecy about Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, for he is like a refiner's fire and like full of soap. What does that mean? He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. Why? Remember that the sons of Levi were making sacrifices of lame ducks. No, lame goats. Not a lame duck. I don't know if you're ever allowed to sacrifice a duck. It's not one of those listed. But they were sacrificing completely contrary to what God said. God said, if you're going to make a sacrifice, it must be the best of your flock, the healthiest, without blemish. They found the ones that were just "Eh, disgusting, don't want that one, I'll just go and sacrifice it to God. So he's saying, I need to purify you and bring you back to righteousness so that your offerings can be accepted. And so I'm going to purify you, make you like gold and silver so that your offerings will be in righteousness to the Lord and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will again be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and former years, which were the years that God blessed them. Amen. And so the first RTF is, he's like a refiner's fire, a purifier of silver. He will purify them like gold and silver in his fire The first RTF is be refined by the fire of testing. Zechariah kind of started this. I think Malachi plagiarized from Zechariah because Zechariah was there before him, right? But Zechariah put it this way and he says, I, the Lord, will refine them like silver and test them like gold. When you test gold, it is a word used, it's the word assay. And it literally means to put it in fire to purify it. So when God tests us, how does he test us? He puts you in fire to purify you. Yay, aren't you just so excited? And then he says, once I've purified you and refined you, then you will call on my name, I'll answer you, and I'll say, you my people. And you will say, the Lord is our God, because when you're purified, you can be in his presence. Now, we understand that Jesus has purified us by his blood, Right? get that right but there's another element of purification which is saying every wrong way of thinking every faulty lies that i believe the wrong attitudes the wrong actions he is going to allow me to see what's in my soul so that he can deal with it and sometimes he has to take you through fire to bring that up let me explain to you how they used to refine uh, gold and silver in those days with fire and um, I used to be a scientist. Well, I'm still a scientist, but I'm now in the science of the ministry. And I worked for Goldfields. I did their fire assay on all the ore samples and all the rest and worked a lot with the purification of ore samples with fire. But in those days, what they would do is they would put it in a, 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 like a cauldron or whatever kind of vessel they had that could handle high heat. They would put it in a furnace and they would put the raw materials in so that they would melt everything down. Now, because there's impurities, the impurities have different boiling points, and so they would start at a low temperature and turn it up until the impurities come to the surface. And then you can see the impurities. Now, before you turn the heat up, it didn't look impure. Turn the heat up and there it is. This is what God does with us. Then he would take the dross, skim it off, throw it away, get rid of all the impurities, and you would look good again. And then he'll say, all right, next one, turn the heat up, and then the next impurity with that boiling point comes up, and there's more stuff. And just when you think I'm pure, so how many of you have lived a life of, I have people come to me, pastor, my Christian walk is just up and down and up and down, welcome to the club. Because this is how God deals with us. He will put you in times of pressure. He will put you in times of fire so that he can show you what's really inside of you so that you can let it go and he can cleanse it and take it away. And then when you let him take that away, you feel good for a season and he lets you enjoy that. And then he says, now let's go to the next one. And he turns the temperature up again. And he does this because he loves you and he wants you free from everything that doesn't look like him. And he has the good news about the fire of God. It only burns what doesn't look like him. It doesn't burn anything that looks like him. So instead of running from the fire, we should embrace it. The word character, you know when people go through a whole lot of stuff, you say, man, you really got some character out of that. It's really character forming. You know those real character forming process? The army was supposed to be a character forming. Uh, It never was really a just character deforming process. But when you go through stuff, The word character in the Bible literally means this, an image or impression formed under pressure. (laughs) And it talks about the image of the king's ring that he would push into the wax or the clay to leave an impression that symbolized his authority. And there's some things that you will only get from the king by enduring and going through the pressure that he puts you through to show you what's inside. I gave this example in the first service. Um, We have someone who's really high up in Colgate. They asked me to use Aquafresh as an example in the second one. So (laughs) let's say you got a tube of Aquafresh and you stuff it full of mud and earthworms. On the outside, it looks really good, right? I mean, if you see it in a store, it's still there. It's still got the big smile on it. It's like, whoa, lovely. It looks lovely. And that's how we look as Christians. We come to church. We look all good. Hallelujah. Hey, brother. God is good. And then on Monday, we go through some pressure and we're boop, boop. Why does God take you through pressure and put you in the fire to show you what's inside of you that you don't even know he's there half the time? And when you go through fire and when you go through trials and you go through testings and difficulties and challenges, you get to see what's really in your heart. No, I don't cuss. And then you ride over the dog on the way out. As you're reversing over the dog, someone comes and smashes your car into the tree. You have to walk to church. Then your wife calls you and says the geyser burst and it's flooded the entire house. And you start cussing. And God says, see, there was always in there. I just wanted to show you so we could like skim some of the dross. Are you getting the picture? And so in our Christian walk, we're going to have these ups and downs because we're going to go through times where the fire is showing us stuff and bringing the impurities out. Then he's going to teach us how to think differently, teach us how to repent. The word repent in the New Testament, metanoyo, it literally means to change the way you think. How do you get rid of the dross? You stop thinking that way and you change the way you think. The whole of Malachi is addressing wrong ways of thinking and saying, that's not how you should think. Let me show you how you should think. And so this is the process God takes us through to show us how we think that is contrary to him. And as we start to think more like him, we will start to receive the treasures and benefits. There's, there's something that I call um, spiritual superficial Submarine spirituality. There we go. See, I, I had to be three S's. I just had to quickly. Superficial submarine spirituality. You all know what that is, right? Good. We can move right on. Yeah, God gave me this picture once of these submarines floating on the surface and they've all just been born again. Yeah, you get born again, you get your own submarine, and you bathe it in the son of Jesus. Remember when you were, you were born again, and it's just, you know, sunlight and honeymoon phase, and Jesus, you're wonderful. And then Jesus says, well, okay, let's dive for some treasure now. I've got some stuff for you. And so you go, oh, it looks so good. Yay, let's head down there. What happens as you start to go down as a submarine? Pressure. Pressure. Now, the only way a submarine can survive diving to deep depths is by increasing its internal pressure to equate the external pressure. If you don't do that, you implode. And I've watched a lot of Christians implode because they will not embrace the process and allow Jesus to increase their internal pressure. And so what ends up happening is these submarine superficial spiritually superficial Christians they dive down until they feel the pressure and the pressure gets too much and it just gets so uncomfortable that instead of embracing it and saying what do I do Jesus to increase the pressure of your presence inside of me they just pop right back to the surface and go whoa I'm not doing that again and after a while you just decide not to go after the deep things of God because there's a cost let me say this to you There's some things in Jesus you will not get unless you're ready to pay the price. There's a level of authority that he will only give to those who pay the price and walk in the purity and holiness that comes with letting him purify us with his fire. Some New Testament stuff. Look, all the apostles and disciples went through some stuff. First Peter, Peter says this, Guys, greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you will have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Wait, wait, wait. What's the rejoice part? Suffer? Grief? All kinds of trials? And he goes on and he says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which will perish even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Submit to his fire. It will only burn what's not of him so that you can become glory released. There is an incredible link between his fire and glory. There is a link between us suffering through certain things that brings the glory. In fact, I am convinced that you will not experience glory in your life without going through some suffering. This side of heaven. Now, friends, I'm not talking about the kind of suffering that is the enemy coming to steal, kill, and destroy in your lives. You don't just tolerate that stuff. I'm talking about the pressures God will allow in our lives to show us stuff, to test our faith. I I did another teaching about a year and a half ago on why would a good God allow bad things to happen. So, if you want a teaching on suffering, grief, trauma, etc., go get that one. But that's not what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about submitting to God's process of refining us. Amen? James, we all know what James had to say. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. James, you're insane. You're just insane. And he says, but why? Why should you consider it joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now there is a level of maturity and completion that you can come up for prayer in our ministry line every Sunday. We can lay hands on you, but we cannot impart maturity and completion. Only going through stuff in the journey with Jesus will bring that. Only submitting yourself. So... How about this? Could I have you make a decision today that next some of you are going through some trials right now? How many of you, there's some fire burning, right? It's like, yeah, there's a fire, there's a fire. But can you make a decision right now that the next time you go and you face trials, tribulations, problems, pressure... That you're going to say, I choose to embrace this process and I choose to rejoice through it. And I choose to run to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, what are you trying to show me? And show me how to increase more of your presence that I can endure this and have more perseverance. Would you say that? Would you agree with that? Paul, who had some serious challenges. Paul's troubles included being stoned to death. Included being Beaten with rods numerous times, numerous times receiving the 40 lashes minus one. They believed that 40 lashes would kill you, so they gave you minus one so that you'd survive it. Shipwrecked, naked, cold, hungry. I mean, the guy lists all these things, and he wraps up and says this in 2 Corinthians at the end of all of it. So these light and momentary troubles, when I look at Paul's life, I realize how light and momentary my troubles are. What are they doing? They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Suffering, glory. Going through troubles, persevering through trials, glory. You want the glory? You're going to have to push through some stuff. You're going to have to pay the price. You're going to have to let things go. Just nod your heads, right? Learn the thoroughly therapeutic thrill of thankfulness through thick and thin. And then let's look at the second one. The second redeeming requirement that we find in Malachi, he goes on and he says something very interesting, actually. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Why? Because I will be honest, honor my covenant even if you don't. But he says this to them, but from the days of your fathers you've turned aside from me and my statutes, you've not kept them. Why do you want them to return to you, God? Because God created you to be blessed. God is not happy when you're not blessed. God's not sitting up there, yeah, you sin zap, pow, you deserve that. That is not his heart at all. He's a dad who wants his children in the right place. When my children go astray, or you, how many of you got teenage children? you know? And, and when, well, my children were good teenagers, they did the teenage thing well. Maybe that's a good way of putting it. It, it broke my heart because I want to love them, I want to bless them, but they were resisting that. And and sometimes we do that with God as well. We resist him. And God is saying, so return to me that I can return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And then they say, but how shall we return? Now, this is the craziest answer. And some of you heard this message before, but we're putting it in context right now. How shall we return? Okay. He says, well, you're robbing me. Let's just get that out of the way. What? Robbing me? And you say, but how have we robbed you? And he answers, "In your tithes and offerings, Jesus, we Lord, Father, God they didn't know Jesus in those days. We were busy talking about returning to you from the sins, from wrong ways of thinking, and you start talking about tithing. How does this line up? And he says, "You cursed with a curse. I think that's the only way to be cursed, is cursed with a curse. <laughs> For you're robbing me the whole nation. So how do you return? Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Thereby, the only time he tells us we can put him to the test. Everywhere else in scripture, you're told not to test the Lord your God. He says, guys, listen, here I'm gonna allow you Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need in your life. And I'll rebuke the devourer, the devourer that comes to burst your geyser, break your car down, etc., so that he will not destroy the fruits of your soil, the fire of your field, your income, your livelihood, the things you have will all be blessed. Then all nations will look at you and call you blessed because you'll be a land of delight. How many of you want that promise in your life? I want to be so blessed that everyone looks at me and goes, whoa, how did you get so blessed? And you know what? God's blessing is not just making you all multimillionaires. The promise is I will bless you so there'll be no more need. But there's another blessing that comes with being in God and honoring him and doing things his ways that cannot be measured financially. And God's not talking about finances here. He's talking about honor. When we look at tithe, when I say the word tithe, everyone likes They're going to take another offering. They're going to steal our money again. The church, all they ever want is our money. Now, well, there's, there's something about the tithe that I think that we need to understand. Is there's a reason God said, you're robbing me and dishonoring me when you don't bring the tithe. Because when the tithe was initially started, and some of you are on the starting line. That's why I've got that picture. You're just like... Some of you haven't started tithing yet. You slim them starting blocks like, I want to see what happens to the other guys. <laughs> I'll watch what, what, do they get blessed? Then maybe I'll, yeah. Maybe after today you'll have a different understanding of the tithe. Here's the principle behind the tithe. I'm going to give you six Ps about the tithe. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. Everyone loves peas. They're healthy. They're green. They've got stuff in them. So I'm going to give you six Ps on understanding the tithe. The principle of the tithe in Leviticus 27 says this a tithe a tenth of everything you have from the land with the grain from the soil with the fruit from the trees from animals from the herds of your flocks. It all belongs to the Lord the tithe is holy to me says the Lord it belongs to me hmm. The entire tithe of all your herds flocks every tenth animal that passes it is holy to the Lord it is not yours. So can you see why God says, return to me by giving the tithe? Because it is an act of dishonor to say, God, thank you. I'll take your stuff and keep it for me instead of returning to you what is yours. Bill Johnson uses this illustration. If I'm in a restaurant and the guy next to me has got this beautiful big steak. Have you ever been in a situation like that? And you're just sipping away on that bottomless cocoa because that's all you can afford. Megan Bean does a bottomless cocoa now. It's really great. Um we'll take that out of we don't advertise sorry But, but you see a homeless guy outside and so you go oh when he gets up and goes to the bathroom i grab his steak and i go outside and i say to the homeless guy i see you hungry god bless you it's oh thank you thank you so much oh that's such a sacrifice well no was it mine to give it wasn't mine in the first place so if i robbed that guy Even though I did something wonderful with it. See, God, how I've used my tithe. I I used it to drive down to that holiday where I shed and witnessed to that one person. (laughs) And God is saying to them, return to me by acknowledging that it's not yours. The first 10% of everything belongs to God. The first. So God had to teach me this, that it's not like wait till the end of the month and see if I got some left over. we tithe straight away. The moment we get an income, bam, Tithe goes off. Then it's like God will bless the rest. 30% of our ministry, we've been church planting without a salary. We just launched out. In fact, half the time, we, we, we launched out planting in Namibia with 600 rand a month. And our rent was 2.5. <laughs> now, do the maths. You can understand that even 100% of my income is not sufficient to meet the bills, so I need miracles. So God said to us, tithe, give generously, and watch what I do. And we lived on miracles for years. Ask our children. There was a season in our life for two years where we prayed, Lord, thank you for this meal. Would you give us the next one? That's how we lived. And food would appear at our doorstep. I'd go and minister to a group and I'd drive home and open the boot and there's a whole bunch of meat packed out in my boot. Stuff like that just happened all the time. I got a bit tired of goat, but I really loved it when they went hunting in venison. (laughs) If any of you want to know how to cook goat, I have a thousand recipes. So the principle is his, but what about the practice of tithing? Where did it come from? You know, there's a teaching out there that says tithing is part of the law. The law passed away, so we don't tithe anymore. Now, understand the heart of the tithe, okay? That's what I want to teach you. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not saying you're under law and the law just says you have to tithe or else. Jesus became a curse for you, so you don't have to be under the curse, okay? Catch the heart of what God is saying here. But the practice of the tithe, was long before the law by Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek, who's Jesus. Bible says Melchizedek, prince of peace, he had no father or mother. It was Jesus appearing to Abraham. Abraham gives him the tithe. Jacob says the same thing. I will give a tenth of everything to you as an act of worship. So the first thing to understand is it's God's. And when I give it to him, I give it as an act of honor and worship. So when I give my tithes, I don't just go, oh, dang, tithe time. Beep, there it goes. Watch my balance decrease. I rejoice. I say, God, this is your money. Thanks for giving it to me so I can give it back to you. I bless it. I thank you, Lord. That's why we declare over our giving on a Sunday because that is biblical, to declare over your giving. I'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. So the practice of tithe wasn't part of the Lord. It was part of worship and part of thanksgiving and part of honor. What was the purpose of the tithe? Well, eventually when the tabernacle was built... God had to establish the Levites to serve in the tabernacle and he said the Levites will not get any inheritance in Israel. I give to the Levites all the tithes as their inheritance. So the Levites, the full-time workers in the temple, would receive the tithes of the people. There was a phase in Israel's journey where Levites would live in every city that the Israelites were and you would have Levites that ministered to you and you would give a tithe of everything you had to those Levites. So the principle is that As someone is serving me as a full-time minister, it is my tithes that help to look after them. Now, do we still have full-time ministers in the church today? The sad thing is, people who say the tithes passed away, the secondary corollary of that is, well, the pastors have passed away too. Passed away. Because there is no other way to support this church than the tithes of the people. But when we give tithes to the local church, it says, bring them into the storehouse. When we give tithes, we must understand, I'm not just giving it because they need a salary. I'm giving it as an act of worship and honor before God. And there's a blessing that comes with that. Amen. And so... The purpose was to provide for the full-time workers. But then we also know, even if people say, well, it passed away, they don't want the promises to pass away, right? None of the promises passed The Old Testament, all the horrible parts passed away. If you read any of these guys' teachings, like all the nasty stuff that I don't want to do passed away, but all the good stuff stayed around. Jesus said, not one letter of the law will pass away. It is all fulfilled in him, and he gives us the grace to do it. But there's a promise that comes with it. It's the only command you invited to test God. We read what Malachi 3 has to say, Proverbs 3, 9, Solomon says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first of all your produce. First, so your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will overflow with new wine. This has been our life. Everything about the tithe was the first. The first of every newborn belongs to God. The first of your fruit Also, the first of the the cities they took in the promised land. They had to dedicate the first city. Remember Jericho? It was dedicated to destruction as a tithe to God so that the rest of the cities could be blessed. Just this whole principle of the first belongs to God. And he says, if you give of your first fruits, what will happen? Well, you'll be blessed. Your barns will be full and your vats will brim over with new wine. How many of you have barns and vats? so we have bank accounts today right you have a barn and a vat bro god bless you bless you Sam I want to come visit your barn and your vat if that's okay I know we pay a lot of vat but um, it's not what God was talking about and then I want to just quickly look at the practice of tithing what do I do with my tithe well the Bible says you bring your tithe into the storehouse it also talks throughout the old covenant of the tithe being for the full-time workers the Levites and so where are you fed That's where you give your tithe. Some people say, oh, I give my tithe to, you know, I watch the Christian TV network and he was crying so much on TV and said if I tithe to him that I'll have a Mercedes by the end of the week. So I give my tithes there. Now you give your tithes where you are served and where you are fed to the local storehouse. So that's the local church. One of the things they did that we do in this church as part of the practice of giving is we make proclamations over our giving. In Deuteronomy 26, you will see there verse 3, 5 to 10, 13 to 15, it talks about the fact that when you brought your tithe to the priest, you would make a declaration over your tithe and you would declare over your tithe that God has blessed me and brought me into this promised land. The priest would take the tithe and put it in the presence of God and he would then, the people would declare over that the redemption of the Lord while their tithe was being presented before the Lord. So when we do declarations on a Sunday, it's biblical. We proclaim over our giving the blessings of God because we believe that money is not neutral. Money in the hands of evil people becomes evil. Money in the hands of righteous people becomes a weapon for God to use to expand His kingdom. And so there's something that I shared about a year and a half and just this little clip from Bill Hybels, but he says it so well, and I love Bill Hybels, and he's respected by everyone. He's got gray hairs, an older man, so people kind of respect and believe what he has to say more than me. And so I'm going to just play a quick clip from Bull Hubbles.
1: And this was the first supernatural engagement I had ever had with regard to generosity. So I decided on the side of the highway that night, I said, you know what? I want to be a more generous man. If this is how it works, if God's got my back, if he's going to notice and get involved supernaturally, I want to go on a faith journey and see how far I can take this. And that day I decided, you know, I'm going to figure out what the church says about tithing and giving, what the Bible says, and uh, I'm going to get on board that program. And since that night on the side of the road, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying I made a commitment, every time I've received earnings of any kind, I've taken the first part of it and returned it to God, and uh, he has stayed supernaturally involved in, uh, with regard to my resources and so and I've been been—I've got a lot of stories to tell. It's been pretty exciting, really. Now, I don't know if you've come to the, that decision yet in your life with regard to your own generosity, but when I talk to, the, to my church about this, I talk about two guys, and I, I know I'm being sexist here a little bit, but uh, I'd like to talk about Fred and Ted. They attend the same church. They hear the same teaching. They read the same Bible. They pray to the same God. And when it comes to giving, you have Fred has this conversation with God one day, he goes, hey, God, just between you and me, we're not, you know, this, between us. I have to get from A to B financially throughout the course of my life. I've got responsibilities. I've got to pay off the, the cars. I've got to pay off the mortgage. I've got to set aside money for kids' college. I've got to set aside money for retirement. I've got all these requirements, and God, it's hard math. There are numbers here. I mean, you can put a fine edge to this. And it's got to work out. And God, I know what you say about tithing and giving and all that, but I have done the numbers. It's going to take 100% of my earnings for me to ever get from A to B. So sorry, I'm out. Okay? Now, uh, Ted, here's again, sits in the same church. Here's all the same teaching. Here's how his conversation with God goes. He goes, hey, God, you know, I have to get from A to B. And I've got to do all the same things Fred's got to do. I've got to do all those same things. And I know the math. I've run the numbers. But I'm going to take a step of faith, and I'm going to believe that because I honor and obey you, that you're going to take me from A to B on 90% of my earnings because I'm going to take the first 10 as a step of faith and honor you with it every single time I receive earnings. And then God whispers to Ted, Hey, Ted, if you will trust me, to take you from A to B on 90% because you're going to honor me with the tithe, here's what I'm going to do. Hey, Ted, I'm going to take you to a place called C, this favored, supernaturally blessed condition where I open doors for you and provide for you in ways, humanly speaking, no one would ever really believe. But that's my commitment to you. If you have the faith that I can take you to A to B on 90%, I'm going to take you to C, and you'll tell stories to your kids and your grandkids, and they'll be true, and they'll be cool. So both these guys make their own commitment. That's the conversation they have with God. Now, here's the, kind of the interesting thing about Fred and Ted. They both think the other is an idiot. <laughs> they really do. You know, oh, Fred, he goes, Ted, you idiot. So you believe God's word about this stuff, and you believe what the pastor said, so you drank the whole jug of Kool-Aid, huh? You're never going to get to be on 90%. Come on, run the numbers, dude. It's not going to work. And this C thing, come on. Imagination, fantasy, it's not going to happen. So Fred just thinks Ted is an idiot. Ted looks at Fred, and he goes, oh, Fred, I feel sorry for you. I just feel sorry for you. Uh, you're going to try to do all of this on your own. You're never going to invite God to be a part of the equation. You're not going to demonstrate any faith. And the worst part of it all, Fred, is you're never going to experience C. This is never going to happen for you. So, sorry, Fred, I think you're the idiot. Okay? So two different approaches, and each of them thinks the other is an idiot. Here's my question for New Hope today. What kind of idiot do you want to be?
0: right, so we'll do an altar call for idiots afterwards. (laughs) But I want to say we have lived in the place of see, miracle after miracle after miracle. It is true. This stuff works. And if you are not tithing, God says, test me in this. So why don't you test him? It's a dare. Why don't you take the dare? And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not like, well, you'll be a millionaire at the end of the month. No, but God's going to start to look after your needs, and you'll see miracles where other people are just doing the math. And then lastly, this last point is a very quick one. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, I know some of you are looking at your watches and going, he slurs another point. It's Malachi's point. It's not mine. I have to make it. So the last thing that Malachi says is, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or walking as mourning before the Lord of hosts? Now we call the arrogant, blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. There is God's mercy that allows the unjust to escape for a season. And God has more mercy than me. I would have zapped half them people a whole lot earlier. I wouldn't have let that 50th king get away with it. I would have zapped the first one. Like, dude, you didn't read. Save ourselves, all the rest of second kings, you know. But God's mercy means that He will let you get away with some stuff in the hope that you will eventually return. But it does catch up with you. And it says, don't put God to the test. The only place you put Him to the test is in tithing. And He goes on and says, so there was a group who heard this and they who feared the Lord decided to speak with one another and they held counsel and said, okay, how do we serve the Lord? How do we bring ourselves back into that position of blessing? And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. A type and shadow of the book of remembrance in Revelation, the book of life. Do you know what's interesting about the book of life? Is that when you reject God, it says, I blot your name out of the book of life. But you know what's interesting about that? It means everyone's name is in the book of life to start. There is no, okay, only if you get saved do I write your name in the book of life. Everyone's name is in the book of life. And it says, when people choose to reject him, when you come to the age and the place where you have a choice to accept or reject, only then, when you reject him, he will go, hmm, I so wished you would have made it. Blot the name out. Isn't that interesting? But God keeps a book of remembrance of those who fear him and trust him. And there's a reward for them. What is the reward? They shall be mine, says the Lord. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I'll spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. Fearing God and serving Him have a, a reward that is beyond the sacrifice. It is worth paying the price. Proverbs, Solomon talks about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. Throughout Psalms, David talks about the fear of the Lord. Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord because He's the mighty Creator. Listen, God is our friend, he is our dad, but he's also the almighty creator. What did Jesus say about fearing the Lord? He said, don't fear those who will kill the body. Fear God who can throw both body and soul into hell. Whoa. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, Paul says this. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let's cleanse ourselves from all defilement in our flesh so we can perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. I believe that there is an incredible lack of fear of God in the church today, just like there was in Israel back then. Some of you might have heard of Paul Cain, one of the most accurate prophets in the last generation. He he died recently. But he, before he died, said God had shown him that the next worldwide move of God would be a move of restoring the fear of the Lord to the earth. How about starting now without waiting until you get to that place? That God is a God. That word fear doesn't just mean respect like some people teach. It literally means fear. In other words, be afraid of what will happen if I don't live according to God and His ways. Be afraid of what will come. Because although God is a God of mercy, He's also a just God. And there will be a day of judgment. And those who are in Him will not have to be judged. Amen? Let's stand together. And I don't know if God has spoken to you through any of these three. But I want to encourage you today. Submit yourselves to be refined by the fire of his testing. If you're not someone who's giving of your tithe, or maybe you give your tithe only if there's enough left over and it's not the first, return through faithful tithing. And then know this that as I choose to fear God, I choose to trust him, I do it his way, that there is a reward that comes. And my name will be written in a book of remembrance that when the time comes, there will be a reward poured out into my life. And I'm not doing it for the reward. I'm doing it because he deserves it amen father we thank you for your word we thank you that you are a God who exposes what is wrong in our hearts not to nail us but to show us how to align so we can be blessed to show us how not to live in wrong thinking that would bring a curse and Lord I'm praying for each person your Holy Spirit would you come upon every person in this place today those listening to this podcast, would you come upon them? Holy Spirit, you've said that you come and remove veils from our eyes that we can see Jesus more clearly. That we with unveiled faces may reflect on you and your glory. Lord, those veils that are in our eyes that we're not even aware of, we submit to the fire, we submit to the test, and we submit to whatever you need to do in our lives to show us those things and remove them. Because we want to think like you, act like you, love like you, walk like you, talk like you lord i pray for a grace for those who aren't tithing that you would you'd show them the miracle that they can be living in that lord as they choose to give to you what is yours you will reward them with even more than what they have and lord we ask for a fear of god to come upon us that we would see you as you truly are the almighty god the name above all names and lord i pray for each person here if there's someone here that the fear of the Lord, the honor of the Lord that you know you have not made Jesus Lord of your life. I want to pray with you before you go. And if there's anyone here, you know you need to do that. I need to get right with God before I go. Won't you just raise your hand? Lift it up high so I can see it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Great, everyone's saved in this place, isn't that glorious? So Lord, I release right now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be upon you, to live the way he called you to. The grace of God to have supernatural power, to be led by the Spirit. Those who are led by grace are not under law. Those who are led by the Spirit experience his grace leading you. And I declare as you said to the Levites, to Aaron, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you his shalom, peace, love, health, wealth, joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand? He's good. Now guys, when you go through stuff this week, what are you going to do? I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to press in and say, Lord Jesus, what are you trying to teach me? I'm going to embrace it. If you need prayer for anything, we've got people who will pray for you, our ministry team here. Visitors, we'd love to meet with you, some of our leaders there. You get muffins and coffee and cake, so hey, there's stuff there for you. Otherwise, God bless you. Go have a week of rejoicing in Him, enjoying His fire and His favor through faith. Amen.